thief-minded works do not yield an appropriate response from them. Jesus laments for them, denouncing them by name, because the mighty works he does in them should bring about repentance, but they do not repent. Why should mighty works bring about repentance? Still working on context from the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus is in Galilee doing these mighty works. John the Baptist hears about it from his prison cell and interprets these things to be the deeds of Christ. This becomes the basis of his question that he sends to Jesus by way of emissaries. John asks Jesus if he is the one to come, or should they be looking for another? This phrase, the one to come, is a title. It is a title that belongs to Messiah, that is, the Christ. John sends these messengers to Jesus to ask him if he is the Christ. We know that Matthew doesn't say that John heard about the mighty works that Jesus was doing. It says that he heard about the deeds of the Christ. We should think here in terms of what people actually know and what they think of Jesus at this time. Some people are just now beginning to understand that he is the Christ, but not all. For many, he's just an oddity, some kind of magician or miracle worker. These people would not necessarily have associated Jesus' works with the deeds of the Christ. But John the Baptist sees that these things are the same. He hears tell of the mighty works that Jesus is doing in Galilee and knows them to be the deeds of the Christ. John the Baptist hears Moses and the prophets. For example, the great prophet Isaiah, who enumerates the deeds of the Christ thusly. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus' answer to John's question alludes to this very passage in Isaiah. The scriptures foretell the deeds of the Christ, and they are the same thing. These mighty works that Jesus does, logically then, yes, Jesus is the Christ, or in John's words, the one to come. Jesus reveals the truth to John, Baptist in, John the Baptist in this way, and through his word, the Father reveals these things to John also. And this, then, is our context. John sees that Jesus is doing the deeds of the Christ, and others do not. The ones who see are praised. The ones who do not are condemned. And those who do not see include the people of these three towns, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Now we come to our passage, which we may reiterate here. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. When Jesus speaks of these things that are hidden from the wise and understanding, he's not talking about the works themselves. He's talking about what they mean. Everyone can see that Jesus does these works. Scarcely anybody doubts that he is the one that is doing them. He doesn't do them in a corner. And the fact that he's doing them spreads throughout the land and his fame as well. But people don't necessarily know what these things mean. This is what is hidden from the wise and understanding. And this is what is revealed to little children. Those to whom Jesus refers as wise and understanding are not actually wise at all. And they 
understand nothing. Jesus is being sarcastic when he calls them this. They may fancy themselves to be so, but it's simply their imagination, their own opinions about themselves. Concerning God's truth, they haven't a clue. Sadly, today there are many like them. On the other hand, John the Baptist understands what these things mean, as do others. Namely, those who see with eyes of faith, those to whom the Father reveals these things. Jesus calls them little children. The problem with the wise and understanding is intellectual pride. Those who consider themselves to be so knowledgeable will not bend their knee to God. They look to their own intellect to find truth, to craft justice, to make peace in the world, etc. If they take the name of God upon their lips at all, they do so only to give themselves some kind of authority back of their own pronouncement of so-called truth, their form of truth. They only desire to know God's word if with it they can wield the power of his name. These things that Jesus speaks of are hidden from them because they look to themselves, not to God for counsel. God tells them, in essence, you're on your own. Figure it out for yourself. And of course, they cannot. Little children, on the other hand, do not even pretend to be able to get things for themselves or to have all the answers. They look outside themselves for everything. And they generally find it extended from the hand of their mother or their father, which, in the grand scheme of things, is no different than being extended from the hands of their father in heaven. They live in true faith. Jesus thanks the Father for revealing these things to such as these who are truly wise and understanding. And this is what these things mean. This is what they mean. Messiah is come. Jesus is the Christ, and he's here. That is what they mean, these mighty works. God gives us his word, preserved through the sons of Israel, and in it he says that when the Messiah comes, he will do these things. Now Jesus is here doing them. Those who see with eyes of faith, see and believe. And those who do not are wise in their own minds, they do not see. <coughs> those who know what these things mean, those who know that Jesus' mighty works mean that Christ has come into the world, repent. They repent. This is John Baptist's message to the people as he baptizes them in the Jordan. And this is what Jesus is telling the inhabitants of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum just prior to our passing. This is what Jesus tells you now. Repent. When you see Jesus' mighty works through the eyes of faith, you realize what's going on. Christ is come. Knowing this and acknowledging this, you suddenly become aware of your sin. You become aware of your sin. And we know that baptism works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. And in those words and promises, God declares this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Gives you ears to hear and eyes to see what these things mean. Know this, friends. Jesus is the Christ come to save the whole world by paying the penalty for his sin. And knowledge of 
You know yourself to be a sinner. Know this Jesus to be the Christ also. And he will repent you of your sin, no matter what it is. Friends, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as did the Hebrew children who rebelled against their father in the wilderness. He rescued them from bondage to Egypt, kept them, and sustained them in the desert for 40 years afterwards. They saw his mighty works, and they benefited from them each and every day, in each and every way, but somehow they did not know what these things meant. They did not believe, and thus they provoked the Lord to anger. As he swore in his wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Nor shall you, if you do not repent. Jesus rescues you even now from bondage to sin. Bring your proud heart and your proud mind to the bar of God's justice in confession. Offer them there for him to wipe away. To set them as far from you as east is from west. Pray to him on bended knee to take the sin of arrogance and pride from your heart and mind. And to make you like a little child trusting in his gifts and believing in his holy word. We have a loving and merciful God. He created you and he cares for you. Enough so that he sent his only begotten son into this world to be tortured and killed in order to pay for your sins and to pay for mine and to pay for the sins of the whole world. If you do not accept this gift of forgiveness, you yourself will pay God the wages of sin, which is death. That is, eternal life, unreconciled to God, judged by Him at the end of days, and living for eternity in enmity to Him. What is this described but the torment of hell and the eternal lake of fire? There you will only weep and gnash your teeth. Hell is real, friends. Jesus says so. Do not doubt it. But God did not create you in order to send you to hell. The blame for spending eternity in hell will be on you with your heart of heart, not on Him. He created you for His sovereign purposes, that you might live with Him and enjoy His company forever. Eternal life, reconciled to God, forgiven forever, and serving under Him in His kingdom, in eternal righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. He created you in order that you shall enter his rest. He fills you with his Holy Spirit through the means of grace, his holy word, and sacrament. He shows you your sin. He repents your heart. He forgives you upon your confession for the sake of his holy Son, this Christ, about whom the entire scriptures are written. Lord, show me my sin. For you have shown me my Savior. There is now no condemnation in Christ. The Father is revealed to us in many ways, not least of which is through this forgiveness. In this, the love of God is made manifest to us, that he sent his only Son into the world, who, while we were yet sinners, died for us. And so do you see now how Jesus can say that his yoke is so easy and his burden is so light? It really is too easy. Baptized into his holy name, we pray that God would show us our sin. Recognize it for what it is, 
no matter how bad it is. Know that it separates you from God Almighty, your Father in heaven. Pray that he will repent your heart, confess this sin before him, and ask forgiveness. Why did I do it? I don't know. I knew better, but I did it anyway, willfully even. Please, Lord, forgive me. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. This is why it is so unconscionable that we would encourage our neighbor, we would encourage our neighbor to revel in their sin, to be proud of it, to celebrate it. This is why it is so unconscionable that we would encourage our neighbor to turn away from God's law in order to create a new law for themselves. When we do this, it isn't loving our neighbor. This is not loving our neighbor. It's leading them by the hand straight into hell. Friends, the Bible tells us what sin is, and you know that you do it. You can go through the commandments, considering your place in life according to them, and just see where it is that you fall short. But the answer to all this sin that we do is not to try and fix ourselves up, not to clean up our act, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, cinch our belts tighter, and do better. That is not the answer. That's the way of the law. That's the way of the Pharisee. That's the way of Islam and the holiness churches. And it's also the way of the secular world. They're always screeching, do better. And this is because that's all they have. They have no forgiveness, just do better. What misery. But you are the same. Now you can try to fix all this stuff up on your own, by yourself. It is not an easy yoke. And it is not a light burden. Besides, even if you could clean up one or two of these things, you'd still be a sinner. Jesus affirms in the Sermon on the Mount that the sins of your heart remain. No. What you need is a Savior. And that is exactly what we have. A Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He's here and He saved you from your sins. He reconciles you to God forever. He reconciles me the same. He reconciles the whole world if we will only listen and believe. This is the gospel. And it is glorious. Do you see the Father's working in it? I promised you that in these words today, Jesus will reveal his Father to you. And here he is, your creator, forgiving your sins, working his plan of redemption for you by his Holy Son and through his Holy Spirit, so that you may live with him in peace, harmony, and true love. True love forever. I pray that you do see this, and His Son, and His Holy Spirit, namely, the one true God, so that finally, when your last hour comes, He will give you a blessed end, and graciously take you from this valley of sorrow.